This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's wizarding world. This week's episode is sponsored by Harry's, who offer a great shave at a fair price. Get $5 off a shave set when you go to harrys.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 321. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Clap. <laughs> <laughs> Micah likes our new uh, audio syncing uh, practice. Still working it out all these years later. <laughs> we have a character discussion today on the president of Makuza. <gasps> Not Newt's commander. Wig. No. Ah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, we're saving him for last because we figured we don't want to... I said something adult when I was speaking off air to Eric. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to climax too early. So oh. we're gonna. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was very strategic too, just in case over the next three or four or five weeks we get more information on Newt, because I think if any more information comes about the next film, it'll probably affect him the most. Most likely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about Serafina today, and then uh, we have some feedback from listeners. We're also going to do some more first-time experiencing Harry Potter stories. I have, I have some, I have a little addition to add to that as well. It's not my first time, but since I'm back home in New Jersey uh, through the summer, I have uh, my original Harry Potter books, and I have some things in them that I want to share. Oh, the memories are come flooding back to you. The memories, all the tears are dried <laughs> up in the pages. <laughs> But I had to tell you guys this story. So um, last night I was at my brother-in-law's birthday party, turned 30, mm. and my brother's girlfriend is there, and she's she's 18. Ryan's a little older. He's, he's about, he's uh, he just turned 21. She's Oh, my little, God. Little I remember when he was like six. Ugh. I know. He was a big MuggleNet, MuggleCast <laughs> supporter. Gak, gak, pickle pack. <laughs> nice job, um, Ryan. <laughs> so so uh so we're talking about harry potter and i'm filling his girlfriend in because we haven't really spoken much I, I just met her the other day and we're talking about harry potter and like i was drunk so i can't remember this story exactly but it, at, at one point i'm like yeah you know and i used to go to the uh midnight release parties and she's like for the books i'm like yes <laughs> Yes, 18-year-old. There were midnight release parties <laughs> for the books. She couldn't believe it. And I was like, oh, man, am I feeling old now? <laughs> They're all so used to the midnight movie release parties. And if you think about it, somebody her age actually – think of the last time there was a midnight release party for a book. Yeah. I would say maybe the final Divergent book, but I'm not even sure there was for that. What if, she, if she's 18 now, it means she would have been eight when uh, Deathly Hallows came out. And that's kind of, it's not too young to go to a book release premiere. But I mean, I, I would understand if she wasn't there um, yeah. at age eight for Deathly Hallows. And that was really the last big one. I, I know Divergent did it. I know, I know I don't want to like uh, shuffle that off to the side. But uh, but yeah, Harry Potter was I mean, those are the ones that you hear about and read about on international newspapers the day after. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I'm thinking maybe Mockingjay was the last midnight book. People listening live on Patreon may be able to help us out too. But yeah. I, I miss I miss the good old midnight release parties for a book. Yeah, I mean, what are the most anticipated books these days? They're probably political autobiographies. Um, yeah, or or yeah. or autobiographies in general, comedian autobiographies. But I'm even then I'm not sure that everyone's lining up at midnight to read about, um, you know, 
any, any anyone in particular. It, it, it's a lost yeah. art. It's a lost art. These event series or event event books, uh, like you know Harry Potter, uh, dime one in a million is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Actually, our patrons are reminding us. James and Katie are reminding us of one very obvious. Stop. <laughs> Don't even say it. Night. Don't. No. Nope. Curse- <laughs> Not doesn't count. Not a thing. No. Um, I, well, so we went to the midnight. LeakyCon had a midnight release party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would have went to a midnight release party if I wasn't there. I know Barnes and Noble stores did have them. It w- it was great seeing Harry Potter books stacked in like boxes in like the boxes they come in with the embargo notice on the side. Like seeing that again was was a, was really like uh, soul soul uh, soul fulfilling. Um, yeah. I took one of the boxes. I still have it. <laughs> I also have a uh, Half Blood Prince. I'm looking at them right now. Half Blood Prince box or the Phoenix box and Goblet of Fire box. You know, and, and that I, is old school. I don't want to come uh, off as uh, ageist, but uh, but yeah, like an 18 year old too. Like these days, I just wonder because we still grew like growing up with Harry Potter. We still put a lot of like weight and interest in books, and I just don't know if like the physical medium is in fact really totally dying. Not with us, but with the people 10 or 12 years younger like what what experience did does this person your brother's girlfriend have with with books man holding books like i want to know now because well she, she went a to reader, uh, she just an ebook release party eric yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> right. which is sit in front of my kindle at 11:59 and and get my and open up the updates the notification updates for the yeah. Well, I, no, but I mean, in her defense, she is a huge nerd. Yeah. She is a huge Star Wars fan. So, like, you would think somebody like her would actually be aware of book release parties, but it's <laughs> it's so archaic at this point. I guess not. Huh. <laughs> uh, well, and Andrew, let's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was just going to say though that um, you're not doing yourself any favors in in mentioning two stolen items after uh, last week's episode when you know you also tipped your cap a little bit that you may have been the one responsible for stealing that uh, story that J.K. Rowling wrote. Yeah, you're just a thief, just well, a big klepto. I I asked permission to take that Cursed Child box, if that's what you're referring to. They don't care. <laughs> I, I'm saving them from going into uh, into the dumpster. Recycling? I'm, I'm doing... Saving the yeah, planet? The landfills, yeah. He's saving them from saving the planet. I just... the. Bu- Huh. Well, I was just going to say that those release parties, I think, were very unique. And I know we talked about some other series that have done them, but I, I don't think you saw quite the buzz that Potter created, particularly around the release of Deathly Hallows, um, what is it, 10 years ago at this point? So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's pretty scary, number one, to think that that was 10 years ago. And then <laughs> isn't it the, the sheer scope of those celebrations and it didn't just happen for the the seventh book when when did it really start is my question when did you really start to see these midnight release parties for it was uh goblet of fire it was goblet Goblet of fire because goblet of fire was the first book for which the release date was the same in the u.s and the uk and i'm assuming other countries as well but that was that was the big one because the first three books in the uk published first and scholastic published the u.s ones like the next summer or like if they released in the fall um, it was like, you know, March or April or, or May when, when they came out in the U.S. So Goblet of Fire was like June 2000, and that was the big, big book release party. That was where Scholastic sent all this material, like all this, um, you know, the signage and stuff to your local bookstore. Countdown to like Midnight. Borders, Walden Countdown Books, to, you know, Barnes yeah. & Noble, whatever your favorite little stores were. And then uh, and then that was that was where they had the, yeah, the countdowns yeah. And, and all that. I I was in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, for the release of Goblet of Fire, and oh, no I way. walked to the midnight release party, 
with my cousin and I think my mom went and we still have pictures. I think um may have posted them online at some point, but um yeah, and actually I was just down there earlier this week and I walked by where the bookstore was. Aww. Now it's some it's not a bookstore anymore. The Froyo uh, place. <laughs> it's some ocean knickknack, you know. I'm like, uh, I miss when this was a bookstore when I walked in and bought Harry Potter in the year 2000. <laughs> that was anyway. uh, that Ryan's girlfriend was a year old. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I'm going to tell him to start dating older. I can't, I can't <laughs> have him be with a girl who doesn't know about book. Midnight Get you a girl parties. who knows about the book. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we talk about Serafina, let's talk a little news. <laughs> Speaking of nighttime Harry Potter excitement, Wizarding World Hollywood is getting a big nighttime show beginning this summer. It's starting June 23rd. It's going to run multiple times per night. It's called Nighttime Lights at Hogwarts Castle. (laughs) It's a five-minute show. Now, here's something interesting about it. The score appears to have been composed by John Williams himself. He, He put this mishmash of harry potter hits together things that he wrote himself all those years ago of course um they have a 27.5 point surround sound system 27.5 yeah like normal home home surround sound is like five five point Uh like five speakers so the uh some los angeles media got to check it out early and they were saying it's just very immersive with all the different speakers you you hear different things coming out of each each one it uh we we had spoken about this previously on MuggleCast, i think because when they opened wizarding world hollywood which i went to they did a a show on the castle and it was awesome yeah it was really amazing and there's video online if you want to check it out i'll put it in the show notes um so that was a hit and rumors almost immediately started that they're going to do something like that more often because it was just so cool. So it, it's interesting because it kind of competes with Disneyland. Universal Hollywood really hasn't had any nighttime shows that I'm aware of. And, of course, Harry Potter's a big draw. So, mm. so uh, yeah, that's happening. But no, this, this is cool. Um, you know, unique lights. Any, any big productions like this, really cool technical stuff with lights or fireworks or, you know, I, I dig it, especially if it's yeah. – you know, five minutes long. You're in the park already. It's just like, oh, let's let's stand and and watch the beauty of uh, and and marvel in uh, human uh, achievement here um, while drinking butter beer. While drinking butter beer or pumpkin juice, mm-hmm. or a hogshead brew. <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, my pass expired, and I'm also no longer in Los Angeles, so I'm not going to be seeing it anytime. It's a good soon, thing but... you didn't get that year round parking pass then. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm sure a video will be on YouTube and we will all be able to enjoy it from the comfort of our parking fee free homes. Today is Sunday, May 21st. Twin Peaks Day. Is... <laughs> <laughs> it's Twin Peaks Day. What is Twin Peaks, Eric? Uh, it's a show. Um, for all the 18 year olds listening. Oh, God. It's a TV show that uh, you were nine years not yet born yet when it first aired in 1990, 1991. And season three airs tonight. Woo. It's a big Wait, deal. Big deal. Uh, season three of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. But you is said 1991. 90, 1990 hyphen 1991. Right. And you said third season? Uh, yeah. So it aired, for two, it, it, yeah, it aired for two seasons. Ending in 1991, 
and they renewed. They 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 came back, and season three premieres tonight. Anyway, it's May twenty first. Uh, you were saying, Andrew, <laughs> that's it's a hell it's of a big, gap. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a big gap. Yeah, it's a well. The yeah, show well, the Roseanne's show is technically back. yeah. Show's an, show was te- technically canceled, uh, and then. Right. They, right. they, yeah, but uh, but quite a cool thing. The um, ending oh, yeah. episode, there was a a supernatural experience where some characters said to the other, "See you in twenty five years," and sure enough, now it's now oh, it's, that's cool. They're coming. I yeah, didn't know that that was it's really cool. Um, mm. But there is a tie into Harry Potter in this day. I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, so today <laughs> it not only is it Twin Twin Peaks Day, but it is the final day of Cursed Child for the original cast. And there we we heard about the new characters thank or, God. sorry the new cast members about a month ago. Thank God. What? Is that what you said? What did you no, just say? No, I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> what? You don't like these cast members? I no, I think they're great, very talented people. I have nothing to to compare it to. All right, all right. Well, I've got bad news for you, Micah. The show isn't over. It's still <laughs> happening. It's just the cast members are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll tell you why I said thank God. It's because I think that it's very unfair the way the owl was treated at the beginning of this production <laughs> and the fact that all these other people got to stay throughout the course of these last several months yeah, is let's, just not right. Let's congratulate uh, all of the actors on their newfound freedom. Uh-huh, Yeah. They're, they're as free as that owl. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the reason I mention it is because we're keeping an eye here in the MuggleCast News Center. We're keeping an eye on uh, their Twitter accounts. I'm sure there will be some nice messages going up before or after the show. It's an end of an era. You know, these, these shows consume you for a good year. And now they're moving on to other ventures. I'm sure they're all set for life now that they starred in that Harry Potter play. So it would be interesting to see what they do next, but but I'm I'm looking forward to the the messages, you know, the emotional goodbye, cursed child, I'll miss you. Well, they can always <laughs> come back and do it 25 years from now, just like Twin Peaks. That's yeah, exactly. True. Exactly. Before yes. they leave the stage, they'll do a bow and say, "See you in 25 years." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this new cast makes Scorbus real. I want them to play up Scorbus, so yeah. I need to go and see it, see the new cast members, and learn what, learn if they pull it off. Well, we mentioned last week that the uh, New York premiere is April 22nd of next year. I'm so into that. Definitely going to see it, and I hope uh, hope Scorbus mm-hmm. is the thing in that production as well. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. We want to remind you about this week's sponsor, Harry's. Eric, Mike, and I love using Harry's for a comfortable, close, and frankly, luxurious shave their shave sets start at just $15 not to mention a $5 coupon we're about to give you and include five blades and a moisturizing shave gel the three of us love Harry's because you get the best of both worlds you get quality at an affordable price they're quick and easy to buy and they'll set you up with everything you need for a perfect shave and with Father's Day right around the corner now's the perfect time to take advantage of their special offer Go to harrys.com slash mugglecast right now to redeem a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off one of their shave sets. This is for a limited time only, so act now. That's harrys.com slash mugglecast to get $5 off. And by the way, by doing so, you're helping support the show. Thank you, Harry's. All right, so, Eric, let's talk Serafina. Let's talk Serafina Pickery, president of Macuza. The coolest thing... 
to know about Serafina is that before, prior to the release of uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the film, Serafina was name dropped a couple of times over on Pottermore. Um, and this this was actually really, really cool. Um, and I'd like to sort of lead off with all of the Pottermore stuff uh, that exists about Serafina because we we have uh, a number of scenes in the film where she is uh, sort of an opponent to the quartet, to our heroes, right? She's trying to maintain order in the wizarding world. But Pottermore really gave uh, some interesting backstory, which showcases that she's actually sort of just like Tina, secretly, you know, bad, bad ass. You know, she's she's great. She's actually really cool. So I wanted to lead off with this, but there's uh, in the piece titled 1920s uh, Wizarding America, um, it says, after the Great Sasquatch Rebellion of 1892... For full details, see Ortiz O'Flattery's highly claimed book, Bigfoot's Last Stand. Makuza headquarters was relocated for the fifth time in its history, moving from Washington to New York, where it remained throughout the 1920s. President of Makuza throughout the decade was Madame Serafina Pickery, a famously gifted witch from Savannah. So she comes from Georgia in the United States and from... Uh, she actually has a really interesting, unique Ilvermorny experience. We've heard about hat stalls, right? Um, Pottermore, uh, you know, debuted the idea of hat stalls when they debuted their sorting quiz because it's actually it was possible to um, get more than one house. And I remember, you know, that 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 bit coming out where it's like specifically on hat stalls, and we learned that was it McGonagall or Flitwick were both hat stalls. Hermione was almost one, something like that. Anyway, Serafina was an Ilvermorny hat stall, and here's how that worked, because there's not a hat. Um, it says, while the rest of the school witches from the, cir- uh, from the circular balcony overhead, new students file into the round entrance hall. This is at Ilvermorny. They stand around the walls, and one by one are called to stand on the symbol of the Gordian knot sent it, set into the middle of the stone floor. In silence, the school then waits for the enchanted carvings to react. If the horned serpent wants the student, the crystal set into its forehead will light up. If the wampus wants the student, it roars. The thunderbird signifies its approval by beating its wings, and the pukwudgie will raise its arrow into the air. Should more than one carving signify its wish to include the student in its house, the choice rests with the student. Very rarely, perhaps once a decade, a student is offered a place in all four houses. Serafina Pickery, president of Makuza from 1920 to 1928, was the only witch of her generation so honored, and she chose Horned Serpent. Um, Why did you choose that, Serafina? Why? <laughs> is it because it's the coolest house? It certainly sounds like one of the Horned Serpent. Houses. Yeah, Horned Serpent is, I'll remind everybody at home, is the house at Overmorning that represents the mind. Um, it's, it's the most Ravenclaw-like house there is. Uh, and I just think it's so fat, like... Who is this person? She's not only a hat stall where she's torn between two houses, but literally every house at Ilvermorny wanted her. Um, mm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder if this sorting process is J.K. Rowling's way of like making up for the less than 
it's a very fancy experience at Ilvermorny, whereas sort like 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 the the jewels lighting up and all that. Whereas yeah. at Hogwarts, the Sorting Hat is just like you know this raggedy, nasty old <laughs> thing. The difference between them, the great difference between them, is interesting. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the hat's a, a relic of the founder, right? So you're like, oh, this is just our story, but it's it's just as unique. You know, at at, mm-hmm. at Ilvermorny, the way it's carved in and, and built in. Yeah, um, I yeah, like Ilvermorny's inter- better. What about you? Yeah, uh, <laughs> wow, you're full of controversial <laughs> things to say this episode. Um, I agree. It's it's much more majestic. If you're going to study magic, um, you know, at school, like a talking hat is pretty cool. I think it we're is. just desensitized. But like Andrew um, said. You know, your first experience at this school is, hey, put this dirty sock on your head as opposed to <laughs> dirty <sock>. this, <laughs> you know, really does formalized process. Smell? I'm sure it does. It's got I'm a, sure it's cleaned regularly. Come on. Who? who cleans the there, hat? Filch? There's no head lice. Magic. The house elves. But just don't tell them it's a sock or they'll wear it and they'll be free. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> I agree, though. Honestly, I really do. The the There's a certain majesty to sort of this grand entrance hall, which is explained more. By the way, that article was uh, the one on Ilvermorny uh, on Pottermore. And yeah, it's, 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 uh, this is why I want to see Ilvermorny in the Fantastic Beasts films, um, because it just has a lot of like really cool seeming architecture and the practices are different enough that it wouldn't feel boring to, to experience, especially knowing that Queenie and Tina, both who we've just talked about on the show, uh, went there and proclaim it to be the best school there is. So, yeah. So pretty cool stuff. Um, but getting into sort of tor- getting towards the film here, uh, something that I, I came across, which is interesting, um, it, it is so very interesting in Fantastic Beasts, to me at least, how America is very backwards, very, um, in fact, Newt, that's the word he uses, backwards, in dealing with their muggle relations. And, you know, the the plot of Fantastic Beasts is set in a world where um, wizards are more than usual, uh, more than average uh, worldwide, kept in, in the shadows. And they have to hide from muggles. They They fear... Muggles, they fear exposure, they fear uh, Serafina herself uh, fears war. Uh, she said this a number of times in the movie. She's like, I'm trying to avoid a war here. Um, and yet, for all their backwardsness, uh, she is a woman, person of color, president of the Wizarding World in 1920. Uh, yeah. We still, in 2017, have not had an American president who is a woman. Uh, and we only just got over having a person of color as our president. And so in 1920, isn't it a bit shocking and jarring even that Serafina, who is, I mean, this speaks to her competence, this speaks to her just awesomeness, uh, strength of character, uh, that she was, I I presume, elected. uh, I I think it's also a statement on the on diversity in the Wizarding World Mm -hmm. and how the how diversity is a non-issue. <laughs> they're they're a right. lot more forward-thinking in the Wizarding World than they are in the Muggle World at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe that's J.K. Rowling's comment was... on that. With that said, there was a little backlash with Fantastic Beasts because it was a very white film. So mm-hmm. maybe J.K. Rowling was looking to add a person of color in there and was just like... I, I know that's could be potentially 
mm-hmm. explosive comment to make. No, I, I I think also, and one of our patrons made this. My uh, the comment is not loading, uh, but on the on the on the doc, uh, somebody was talking about on the, on the Patreon, and I will find it and and credit you later. But uh, they said because the wizards are, are such a smaller community as well uh, that they can't mm. you know afford to be racist. Um, because they're they're so much smaller, and there's just the diversity is something that was embraced much sooner as a result of that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't it, know if I necessarily agree mm-hmm. with that statement the way that mm-hmm. it's phrased, but uh, I phrased it that way. It was not a quote from the uh, patron, so I, I just think that <clears throat> maybe the race relations in both America and other parts of the world are, are not the same. As as you know, we know them to be from our own history, you know, and, yeah. and there could be any number of reasons for that. Uh, but I I still think that you have you know, certain issues as it relates to the magical race and the non magical race, and I and I mm-hmm. and I think that you know that kind of is a is a larger um, issue at hand as opposed to you know some of the more um, I don't know. You'd say like specific issues that would normally be taking place. I, does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's just that it's not even a factor in in the way anybody relates to or um, judges or decides what to do in this film. It's a it's a complete and utter non-issue uh, to mm-hmm. these wizards, which is fantastic. It's a it's a it, in so many ways, you know, America in Fantastic Beasts is dreary, bleak, backwards depressing uh horrible but you know in this way it's like a really strong step forward uh and it's you know like i said in 1926 they were more wizards were in some ways in america more advanced than we are now so i think that's pretty cool um but it also speaks to seraphina's competence which again uh as i stated but in the film you don't actually get to see her battle uh too much there's no wizard duel she she goes where the the um destruction is and she's commanding a team of ours but she is not actually you know thrust into battle the way that our heroes are the way that the quartet is and so it's important to sort of speak to her prowess as a witch um because it you know we don't actually see it in this film now there's also a question as to whether or not we will see her again because uh, as it stated on pottermore you know she was president from 1920 to 1928 now, if you're looking at American history, you think, oh, eight years for president, that's great. She had two terms, two four-year terms. But my research uh, on this uh, fact uh, revealed that the two-term limit uh, was not actually installed. I believe it was a, a constitutional amendment, but it was, it was set up in 1947 and ratified by the states in 1951. So because FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was president for 12 years – from 1933 to 1945, and that was basically the wartime. You know, they they he he got elected president for the third time. That was it. That was eight years after the events of Fantastic Beasts. So actually, the fact that Serafina served a two-term limit is it could could the American wizards be so forward that they had two four-year term limits <laughs> even in 1926? Am I overthinking this? Uh. No, I think that's a fair guess. I don't think we have anything else to base it off of, but um, maybe they were a little more forward-thinking in terms of like what a lot of power could do over the long term. Huh. Right? Yeah, self-skeptical, kind of self-policing like yeah. that. Yeah. 
Because it is, I mean, America is all about checks and balances. Like, that's the whole reason this, you know, the term limit is like, oh, we don't want a dynasty in here. Um, Yeah. But in terms of her appearing again in these films, I don't think it is going to happen. uh, Because since we are moving overseas, which is a shame because, and it, it, I guess it's all just very confusing at this point. Like, we learn a lot of new information about this character just to see her a little bit in a film. And now that we're going to be in Paris for the second one and potentially other places in Europe, I guess she could somehow get involved. But it seems like it'd make most sense if she stayed in America. Like, she shouldn't leave her post there. Well, uh, the International Confederation of Wizards came to New York. Uh, You know, all those wizards in that room. And they were, I presume, prime ministers and leaders of their individual nations. So I think she might show up as like a cameo in the future. Um, you know, if there's an international delegation, but it's at the Ministry of Magic, for instance, um, there can be a line where Serafina passes by Newt and is like, Mistress Commander, <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, think think it's, I think it's possible. It's very possible. And, and, you know, we're anticipating the second film opening with Grindelwald breaking out of prison or, or at least there being a part of that story that is is very much at the forefront of the second film. So one would believe since she is being entrusted with his imprisonment that mm. she would be involved in some capacity. And there's also uh, Tina. Tina still works for Makuza. Uh, we know that Graves is probably gone at this point. But yeah. I just think that, you know, Eric, what you brought up uh, with, with the International Confederation, I think there's more to her moving forward uh on the international scene, not maybe specifically working side by side every step of the way with Newt or Queenie or Tina or Jacob or, or, or any combination of those. But I think she is going to be involved um, at, at, at a higher level, you know, almost like a, uh, an M right. Um, for, from MI6. Oh yeah. I love, I love cool. it. Um, couple things here though. Too, because we know these films, we know the Fantastic Beasts films will uh, last, will span the period of time ending in 1945. Um, you know, Pickery will only be president until 1928, according to Pottermore. So there's another 17 years where who knows what she'll do afterwards. I mean, maybe she'll go golfing. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, Or maybe she'll go help Newt. And maybe she'll go help Newt. Exactly. <laughs> she can be a, a, a huge resource being such a talented witch, as we've established she is. Um, which, by the way, i got to talk about her wand. But uh, the alternative, though, is that uh, the Wizarding World is not as forward-thinking as we thought. There were not two term limits uh, you know, 15 years before there were in the United States. And in 1928, Serafina dies. So that's oh, a possibility. Oh, well, wait, wait, wait. I don't think we should jump to death. What if she just steps down to go help Newt? Maybe well, she feels bad about, she feels guilty for Grindelwald breaking out potentially. I would love, so I would love to believe that. But if he breaks out, you think he's going to like leave her? Like, do you think it won't involve Kill her? Yeah. Do you think that his breakout scene will also include? Because all we know is that she stops being president in 1928. So it's already 1927 because it was December 1926 when Fantastic Beasts ended. Uh, And so, you know, say Grindelwald is imprisoned for a year in America, finally uh, hoodwinks the right people or convinces the right people to let him out. 
does he escape without killing people or does Serafina, is Serafina sort of going to be a huge martyr and sort of the last ditch, like he has to kill her to escape. It's a sad, sobering thought. Um, but all we know from Pottermore is that she's no longer president after 1928 and there's no further future information. So the mystery continues. Let's talk about her. Well, wand. I mean, yeah, a great. Okay. Wand. Yeah. No, well, I was just going to say, I think uh, there seems there clearly is a lot of room there. I didn't realize that. I don't think that she was only there till 1928. So that opens up a world of possibilities. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Her wand. Her wand. Uh, the coolest it, wand ever in the wizarding world, in my opinion. Yeah, this is a pretty cool wand. Uh, it's a Rougarou hair. Uh, so Rougarou, I, I'm going to pull my copy of Fantastic Beasts and see if it's in I doubt it's in there. Um, a Rougarou hair core wand. Uh, so I guess just like Phoenix tail feather, like it's a, a bit of Hitler drag. Um, what's the one that's the hair? Is it dragon heart string, Phoenix tail feather, unicorn hair. It's just like unicorn, or they have hair in the core of the wand. Anyway, I'm I'm mm. doting. This is you understand what it means. I just needed a moment. Um, it's a <laughs> swamp mayhaw wood, uh, and the biggest thing. This comes from a, a section on Pottermore about uh, wands uh, and wand makers in America. If you remember uh, that article, and it turns out that Serafina's wand was made by Violetta Bouva or Bouvets. Um, and Violetta Bouvet's, the famous wand maker of New Orleans, refused for many years to divulge the secret core of her wands, which were always made of swamp mayha wood. Eventually, it was discovered that they contained hair of the Rougarou, the dangerous dog-headed monster that prowled Louisiana swamps. It was often said of Bouvet's wands that they took to dark magic, like vampires to blood, Yet many American wizarding hero of the 1920s went into battle armed only with a Bouvet's wand, and President Pickery herself was known to possess one. So, here's... the coolest part is that it's pink. (laughs) Is it pink? Yes. What? It's a pink wand. I mean, the bottom of it is. The the handle part is. Oh, is there a gem? Is there, like, a gem in the... Uh... I, I guess so. I don't know. But but Google Serafina Pickery Wines. And this is one of the ones you can buy from Ollivander's, by the way. Um, I was very surprised by it because we have never seen a wand like this before I'm, I'm <laughs> in the Wizarding World. It. Such a unique color. Oh, God. That's fantastic. I'm looking. Yeah. It even comes in a pink box. Wow. Okay. I might have to buy this. She's... <laughs> um, you're right. It is, uh, it is pink. It's bright pink. Um, yeah. You know, there's actually oh. another. Speaking of Pottermore, though, there's an article where Carmen Ajogo, who plays Serafina uh, in the film, raves about just having her wand and holding her wand. Um, it's it's pretty cool. She says it's so beautiful. I am so in love with my wand. Maybe subconsciously, I willed the designers to give me one, the one with the big gem on it. She says, twinkle eyed. Um, mm. And then Ezra Miller apparently told her that. There are very different schools of wand makers. He was quite taken aback by mine because he recognized it was made by a very different wand maker than he was accustomed to. It really does stand out among other wands. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you actually see her wand in the in the movie. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, you, you, you do, but not the cool bottom part. You know it's in her pocket. You know, like, the, the, what was it uh, John Voight was saying about the inkwell that had ink in it? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know she's carrying her while you just know. Oh, you're right, because she doesn't do battle. So yeah. you don't really see it. 
Um, so I it's think this is, yeah, this is also a quote from Carmen, I think. There's going to be something very, very powerful coming out of that wand when it's needed, says Carmen. The wrath of Serafina is yet to emerge from it, but it's elegant and regal, which probably reveals something of her personality. Um, <laughs> she also says... But she never uses it, though. I mean, no, that's, not yet. that's the interesting part about that comment so i wondered if anything else was left on the cutting room floor and or is there more to come in future films because yeah we don't we don't really see her in action uh, at least that i can remember in in this film Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. um so here's another quote from carmen though uh I don't think that Serafina is ostentatious in any way, but I do think she is commanding and she knows the power that she yields. That wand represents that power. You can tell that something epic will happen when it's used. Serafina's kind of like that. She's epic. Let's get into the movie here because uh, we've had a good discussion so far, um, but I want to get to sort of where we've seen I had a question for our group, though, before we move Mm -hmm. on to the movie specifically because – I think it is relevant, uh, the fact that her wand is made um, from the hair of, of, of the Rougarou and that it references the fact that oftentimes these wands take to being used by dark wizards or, or they're, they perform dark magic. And mm-hmm. is that just uh, you know the, a case that um, Serafina is the exception to a very seemingly... Um, important rule here or or is there a dark side to her yeah I, I well she's very she's obviously in a position of great power i doubt she got there if she had a dirty record of a dark record mm. so i'm more inclined to believe that she has these special powers these unique abilities um and she's an exception to the rule yeah, I because I, I think that's what the wand. I think that's what the wand paragraph is really saying is like, okay, these wands are said to favor dark magic, but you get a light wizard or a hero. Uh, that word is used hero. Many of the heroes of the 1920s, uh, Pickery included, were said to possess one. And it's like, oh, so it's just like sort of a Gryffindor thing. Like this is this is it's just a formidable wand that you're more likely to use if you have a hero complex. So Pickery is more like Harry, but that might put her more in danger. Um, yeah, which we'll talk about soon. Um, so actually the interesting thing, uh, you know, about Pickery in the film is she's always set against Tina. Um, she basically, Tina, after meeting Newt at the very beginning of the film, it barges into, you know, this meeting of the, of the R's and is basically chastised, uh, by Serafina for, for, and, and, and not only that, but, but. President Pickery does not listen to what she has to say. She's there with Newt, with what she believes is the case of beasts, and is completely dismissed. Seraphine is not even hearing any of it. So, you know, you can see this film and, and really not like President Pickery um, at first. Yeah, well, she's clearly pissed at Tina for what she did in her past. Um, yeah. And I don't see that. Well, I mean, now I would think that they didn't really get a makeup scene in the movie, but I would think that Serafina looks at Tina in a different light now that she was right about Newt and his beasts, yeah. that that Tina, that Serafina shouldn't have ignored her urgent pleas. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting because we, we saw sort of differing opinions 
on Serafina's character in the responses that we got on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, some of them referencing what you were talking about, Eric, in terms of her, her treatment of her, uh, it, one that comes to mind, Victor here says she's a self-serving politician who berated yeah. Tina in front of the ICW and stringently upholds Rappaport's law as an appeal to populism. Mm. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah, that's real deep. I don't know about that last part. I, I mean, I agree with it, but I would need to look up some words. And then um, just really quick to add these other two in here, because I think they'll help add to the discussion. Yeah. Ginny says, I don't know if that's the real Ginny or not, but anyway, uh, so much promise, but such a disappointment. More fudge than Shacklebolt. Great costume, though. And then Eric Faulkner said she comes off as incompetent as fudge in her duties to wizard and no match kind. I mean, Serafina, end of the day is trying to run a government and it can't be easy. You know, they're in this, they're in these backward times. Um, and I think she truly believes in the goodness and the, well, uh, of keeping wizards secret. And I think that's a, that's a huge, she really just believes that it is the right thing to do. And Grindelwald questions that rightly. So uh, he's very persuasive the way he does, but ultimately she's made this decision and it's law you know, we don't know what kind of Senate or House of Representatives or whatever that Serafina answers to, um, you know, in, in addition to the wizarding public. But I don't think her being a politician, like calling her a self-serving politician, I, I really don't think that she's self-serving. I think that she – I don't think there's enough con- evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. She she has a country to to serve, and I think that that's what she's doing. And, and just because, as so often happens in Harry Potter – Breaking the rules is the fun thing to do. Breaking the rules is the right thing to do, uh, even though nobody sees it. Just because that's a J.K. Rowling thing in story does not mean that that Pickery is wrong um, to to behave the way that she does. So, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong. But but whether or not she's a good leader, again, she does not listen to what Tina has to say first. And it results in the death of the senator, of Senator Shaw, because ultimately – you know, the Obscurus, which Newt probably could have identified sooner had he been on the case, uh, is is just not uh, – she, she didn't listen until it was too late, and he's not brought in. And that's all because Pickery did not take the time. She was just so um, – like you said, like it's it, – because Tina caused a headache for the ministry with the barebone stuff, she was demoted, uh, and Pickery does not give her the time of day anymore. Um, the next time that we see her – is actually during the International Confederation scene. And here, because the senator has been killed, she is willing to listen to Tina. And you're right. I mean, she berates Tina again in front of the entire wizarding convention. But uh, I think that's also to show um, strength, sort of, because what kind of uh, leader are you if you let just anybody walk through those doors in the middle of a meeting, right? Um, So maybe that's that. But she ultimately is, you know, that's when she's listening to Tina and that's when she meets uh, Newt and, and kind of understands what's going on. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that she's she's doing everything she can. The, the issue is that Grindelwald's on the loose and she has to answer to this international confederation or she's hosting this confederation because it's very possible that all of America, you know, nomadges will will learn the truth. And wizards will be exposed. So I, I think it's just that a lot of this movie, a lot of her character in this movie is is put in the context of uh, it's really close to being an all-out war. Like it's really close to being everything that they fear 
uh, to happen in America is going to happen in America. And once it happens in America, it's going to happen everywhere else in the world. Uh, that's sort of just how these things work. I think I think she, it's just that she's really responsible um, and she's focused on her job. She's, I think, probably a good president. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> which still raises the question of why she leaves. But in twenty in twenty eight, yeah. Let's just say two yeah. term limits were a yeah. thing twenty years fair. earlier. Yeah, two term limit. She's uh, run her course as as president, unless uh, we learn otherwise. I mean, we're we're going to undoubtedly get the answer to that question. I would think, knowing that we have to go through nineteen twenty eight uh, to move forward. Mm-hmm. But I I think that you know, she's she's flawed as in in her um presidency much like other leaders are um any mm. leader is quite honestly nobody leads perfectly and you know i i think we saw sort of the, the worst of 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 leaders in fudge when we were dealing with the potter series and and i don't think that some somebody had tweeted earlier that that we know enough about her yet to make that comparison to say that she's a worse leader uh than fudge or scrimgeour i i think that no it's we've only had one film uh with her and i think there's more to learn about her i think you know with characters like hers you don't get to spend the time with them to learn you know all the different decisions that they have to make all the different intricacies of what goes into what they're dealing with you know like you have here in the notes you know the, the first scene that we have with her is a hey we're busy leave us alone but she's dealing with trying to track down Grindelwald not realizing that he's standing right next to her of course but uh, <laughs> you know that's what she's tasked with she is tasked with pr- protecting the wizarding world here in America and and via that the larger wizarding community because of of what's going on and I think that that gets a little bit lost because here you have Tina walk in with somebody who supposedly has a suitcase full of beasts, some of which have now escaped um, into New York City. But Very I mean, irresponsible. Right. Now, does that risk exposing them? Of course. But yeah. is it as big of an issue as Grindelwald being on the loose? Absolutely not. So I think, you know, is she a little bit blind to kind of other things that are going on around her? Yes. But I think that's part of, you know, her character. And, and, and I think... We need to give it a little bit more time. We need to get to know her a little bit more before we make decisions about her ability to rule and her ability to lead. Let's see what she's actually able to do in terms of keeping Grindelwald, um, you know, imprisoned. And and if she's able to do more moving forward, I just think that it's too early to make comparisons. Yeah, I, I, I think it's early enough to say she's not as bad as Fudge because when presented with the facts, Serafina does the right thing. She doesn't ignore what's right in front of her. And that is Fudge's biggest mistake. So um, I'll say that much. But uh, actually we heard from Nada over on Patreon. I found some of these quotes. um, And she said, uh, Nada says, I think as a woman in power, especially being a woman of color in the 20s, maybe she can't be emotional or people will see her as incompetent. Um, And I think that's also very, again, to the International Confederation scene, um, she, you know, can't show emotion she can't show too much consideration she has to demand that tina explain why she's there um and really the the only other two scenes uh that she's at in the movie there's a very interesting shot this gets me every time 
But when Credence is breaking uh, everything in town and going across the uh, town and Newt is following him on rooftop, there's a weird shot of it's Serafina and a couple Aurors, but it's actually the, the, this, the images of a reflection. Uh, basically, it's like a map of Manhattan and it's lighting up. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you, do you remember seeing this? Yes, I do. That was really cool. Yeah, it's like the streets and 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 uh, it's like a just a map of Manhattan of Midtown, and it's lighting up where all the destruction is occurring or where the magic is occurring. It's a really cool shot. You don't actually you see her, but it's only her facial. It's like a reflection of her face looking at this map, and it's two or three hours, and she says to them, uh, "Contain this, otherwise it will mean war." Um, and it's like you know five seconds blink and you'll miss it, um, but. That's or she says actually this this could mean exposure. Wait, what does she say? Hang on, I just yeah just, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exposure. Anyway, anyway, so she sends the orders to the train station where the climax of the film happens. But she's ultimately again she she's just it's clear as day she's just trying to prevent war. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. And at the end of the film, she is she quickly understands that Graves is not necessarily who he seems to be in the conversation with Colin Farrell. And when when Grindelwald is apprehended and he says to her, do you really think you can hold me? She says, we'll do our best, Mr. Grindelwald. And I think that that is, you know, a very shining line. And I think that that shows her inner calm and inner coolness and her sort of resolve to do, to succeed. It comes off as confidence to me. Yeah we'll do our best like it's sarcastic yeah uh it's like harry is uh let us hope that mr potter will always be around to save the day and he says don't worry i will be Mm -hmm. so let's do let's do tweets (laughs) we first heard from uh i don't know what's wrong with me uh you think he's crying he was very yeah i was very moved by those last few uh comments don't worry mr grindelwald we will be so lauren downs asked a question and we may have touched on this a little bit earlier um that seraphina had her pick of of all four of the ilver morning houses why did she choose horn serpent yeah i don't know yeah Uh, well like i said at the beginning of the discussion i think it's just the coolest one (laughs) <laughs> but no, Thunderbird. Maybe, Thunderbird, my house, is the coolest Maybe thing. we'll learn more about Horned Serpent or why she chose Horned Serpent once we get some more time with her. Maybe if she does work with Newt, they can discuss that. Or maybe if she's friends with Tina. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they're going to be. They both went to Elvermorny, so mm-hmm. maybe their more explanation could come there. Or maybe this is something J.K. Rowling could answer. I feel like this is probably a safe J.K. Rowling Yep. Yeah, if she's not it wouldn't be all. give too much away. Being um, you know, politically motivated on Twitter right. for yeah. one day but, or for a few hours, maybe she could answer that question. Maggie also. Yeah, because it. Good. Sorry, I just want to add, it probably isn't relevant to the story, so it'll probably never show up. So that's why she could tweet about it safely. Mm-hmm. But Maggie asked a question that would kind of um, tie in there, um, wanting to know more about Serafina's background. How did she become the president? Her family ties to anybody that we know. And what is her role in defeating Grindelwald? I, get, I would add, if any. Uh, yeah, Katie sent us, uh, Katie, who's our guest last week, sent us a um, name origin thing, which I'll read at the end. But uh, it might hint at her purpose and her role in defeating Grindelwald. Interesting. Uh, well, mm-hmm. speaking of Katie, she also said that Serafina is a 
heckin' good dresser, but she was mean to Tina, Newt, Credence, and Jacob, three out of ten would not forgive. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd forgive her. She's just doing her job. Yeah. Uh, She's not like Fudge. April and Laura both weighed in on her being in the next uh, Fantastic Beast film. Uh, April said, I would assume she is in the next movies if she, Makusa, lose Grindelwald. I cannot imagine she takes that well. And Laura, I really hope we do see her again. I really loved her character. Maybe uh, she comes in as a special advisor to the head of the wizard government. That'd be cool. Uh, she could be the UN ambassador as well um, for the states, assuming whatever future president isn't busy mm-hmm. or is busy. Cl- yeah. Clockwork boy uh, talking a bit about her wand. Maybe when Grindelwald escapes, she uses an unforgivable curse on him since her wand takes to dark magic. I like I like the connecting threads of this um, where we use these details to inform what might happen. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And then Ken and Nolan touching a little bit on uh, what was brought up earlier in the discussion. Uh, Ken says, I have to know her backstory, a woman and a woman of color, no less, as president in the 1920s. Who is this badass character? Yep. And Nolan, for such a backward society in the 1920s, wizard and nomage, was interesting that their president was a woman and a woman of color. Good for them. Yep. Uh, let me see. Also heard from Horned Serpent House, which are <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they they're on Twitter. Maybe they can explain. Ilvermorny Horned Serpent House is on Twitter. Yes, and they are proud of Madam President's accomplishments. However, <laughs> we do wish her more patience in pursuit of truth and security. Ooh, is, she... is this like a fan site for the Horned Serpent House? Because that would be the first. I don't think there's ever like a Gryffindor. Twitter handle. Yeah, no, it's it's like. it's Horn Serpent at Overmorny itself. Um and and she let her house down by uh not being more patient in pursuit of mm-hmm. truth and security. That's rough. <laughs> and uh finally we hear from Geeky Galpaz, uh which is in contrast uh to what we heard from uh Ginny and Eric uh, they say while she may have her flaws, she is a better leader than any of the British ministers for magic. There, here, here. I would say at least the ones that we yeah. know about, because there are obviously other ministers for magic that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that information is over on Pottermore as well, um, sort of the history of the of of the ministry. But uh, yeah, definitely fudge. Uh, there's no question there, at least in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm sure that uh, Scrimgeour can be debated because he was with us for a very short period of time and actually died, um, you know, in, in protection of Harry. So, yeah. Getting back to Katie's tweet from earlier for a moment, I just wanted to add that I think that's kind of she said she's a good dresser, but she was mean to Tina, Newt, Creance and Jacob would not forgive. I think you tend to get a, a tough first impression when you meet somebody in that high power like i don't think they're necessarily supposed to be friendly and kind and give a warm welcome again it's perceived (laughs) weakness like they would perceive her as weak and and the darker forces would eat it up they would absolutely run all over her yeah so i think even if you don't like her now 
the core four and we as a viewer may warm up to her further i'm personally got no problem with her and and jacob like she's not really mean to jacob she does demand that he get his memory wiped but she doesn't do it herself she you yeah. know at the end has sort of come around to this idea of giving him you know giving them a moment to say goodbye she understands that these four humans have bonded during this film yeah. and, and that yeah <clears throat> and yeah. also though i have a hard time believing that she would have been okay with what graves slash grindelwald decided to do with both newt and tina mm-hmm. you know, he, yes he claims that he's going to deliver the news to her but i don't really know that he's not he yeah uh, and there's there's never any sort of follow-up to that we don't learn uh about the 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 truth of that situation it's not like seraphina is shocked to see tina and newt still alive when she runs <laughs> into them in the subway station so right. that leads me to believe that she was never given that information that that was going to happen. No, and it would have it would have tipped his hand. It would have shown it would have revealed because Graves would not have killed them so quickly. It's clearly a a quick attempt at cover up from Grindelwald's part and pretending to be Graves he sentences them to death, but he was never going to tell Serafina. He you know because maybe she would have found out if the stuff weren't hitting the fan that same day. But I think that ultimately, you know, that's just going to reveal that he's not Graves because Graves would not have done that. Um, yeah. So there's no way he told her. Um, yeah. So well, let's just talk about name origins then. We'll close on this because Katie was asked uh, <laughs> by Michaela, who's uh, also a patron, to do more name analysis. And uh, Katie saved us a lot of time and energy by providing it. So here is... Um, here is the Serafina Pickery name origin story. Okay. Behind the name, meaning origin and history of the name Serafina. It's the feminine form of the late Latin name Serafinas, derived from the biblical word Seraphim, which was Hebrew in origin and meant fiery ones. The Seraphim were an order of angels described by Isaiah in the Bible as having six wings each. From late Latin Serafina, Name of obscure early martyrs from biblical seraphim. Early martyrs, that means they died young. So Katie asks, is she going to die young as a martyr? That bothers me. Um, mm, that, was well, our, that was our theory that Grindelwald's going to escape and kill her. It might, yeah. it might be in her name, guys. I'm sorry to report. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Disturbing warning. <laughs> the highest-ranking angels, the six-winged seraphim, inspired the lovely name Seraphina, which was brought into the contemporary spotlight, apparently, when chosen by high-profile parents Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck for their second daughter. So their second daughter's name is Seraphina. That's kind of cool. Who cares? <laughs> well, what does that yeah, have to I do with anything? I, I question. Strike that from the record. Delete that out of the show. Only patrons hear that. I Only mean, patrons on. hear that. that ben Affleck and who cares? You know, we'll keep it. Hey, look, Katie just did us a solid here. No, by, she by did an amazing job up until every that relevant. Line. That has nothing to do <laughs> with hey, her name. Here's here's Pickery. Here's the last name. Here's what that means. Um, Pickery seems to be French in origin. Uh, most people having that last name being from the area around Paris. But it's also a common Creole name, which is uh, French uh, in, like, Louisiana area. 
It's Creole. Since most North American Creoles, especially those having strong roots in the French-speaking parts of Louisiana and parts of the Deep South, where there was a strong French influence, it can be presumed that their offsprings would have French surnames. Hickory shows up here under the list of common names of free people of color, and Savannah, Georgia, where Serafina is from, is definitely part of the Deep South. Hickory is also a type of pear. Uh, pear meaning uh, that's P-E-A-R. <laughs> I've heard rumors that pears are going to have a big role in Fantastic Beasts <laughs> too, so I think I think we are going to see. Yes, Grindelwald's going to me- choke on a pear. Medium to Fantastic large pears size. and where to pluck them. They sound they taste like kind of sort of like apples, but not really. Medium to large size, roundish, pear-form, pale yellow with some russet right, flesh. Right. Okay, okay, track, okay. We go. Thank track. you, Katie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, two more things here. <laughs> Tangential. Uh, in the second half of the 20th century or early 21st century, Rita Skeeter wrote in her Newt Scamander biography titled Man or Monster, The Truth About Newt Scamander, end quote, that Newt left Madame Pickery with a broken heart in 1926, something he later clarified was not true. So it's funny that uh, Rita mm. Skeeter shipped uh, Newt and Serafina. Yeah. And at some point on Pottermore, it was mentioned that uh, present day Lucas Pickery, Lucas Pickery, was an American, hello, Quidditch player in 2014. Um, So it's possible, just like we saw Anthony Goldstein is a indirect descendant of the Goldstein sisters from Fantastic Beasts, it would follow that Lucas Pickery, this Quidditch player in 2014, is also somehow... Descended Related. from Serafina. Yeah, absolutely. And don't 100%. forget, was it Quentin Kowalski? Oh, and Quentin Kowalski. Yeah, you're Another right. Another Quidditch player. They they just, everybody from the Fantastic Beast era clearly uh, just Quidditch. breed Quidditch players um, yeah. several generations later. That's, that's what I'm learning from this conversation. Uh, I feel like there might be something to that Serafina Newt thing. Like, maybe it's not as accurate as... Um, Rita is making it out to be, mm. but I think there's something there. Hmm. I yeah, it, it, I think we talked a little bit about something along those lines on a previous episode. In that Rita, you know, you go back to the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore. Even though a lot of what she included in in that book was not true, a hundred percent, hundred percent accurate. Yeah. There were truths sort of on, on below the surface in terms exactly. of what she was saying. So I, I wouldn't just pass off things that she's writing about as just being uh, sort of gossip. I think exactly. I agree with you. I think there's probably a little bit more to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, but it, mm, I, I don't think it's coming from Newt. I would assume it's coming from, from, from Serafina. Like if there are feelings but but it seems way, like that was obviously not on display in the movie no, I, at I did, all. So. I just think what it is is it's magical talent recognizing magical talent. Newt has a very Maybe. distinct, yeah. different type of of magical talent, and I honestly he does the government a solid. Here's the thing about that is she again as a politician goes up to Newt and has to thank him on behalf of everyone in America, thousands of yeah. wizards, and has to say thank you, you saved us, and we were wrong. Like complete awesomeness but it, it, it ultimately is a professional sort of respect i don't think it's romantic at all but it's uh a, you know professional respect mm-hmm. and maybe it's sort of a, a 
little bit of a tip of a cap to their working relationship moving forward. You know, maybe they do grow yeah, close yeah. in the sense that they have to join together uh, in this fight against Grindelwald, and Rita is just naturally making more out of the situation than is than is truly there. By the way, um, so wrapping up this 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 discussion, we got a lot of good Tina feedback last week, and some people said that their feelings on Tina had changed Yay. like our own feelings did. So <laughs> mission accomplished. So, yeah. Yeah. Even though we didn't even set out to accomplish that to begin <laughs> with. So good stuff. Um, if you have any feedback about this week's discussion, please email it into mugglecast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us twitter.com slash mugglecast. Yeah. We have some more first time experiencing Harry Potter stories. We asked for these a while ago on Patreon. Um, this is from Kay. While I definitely read the books when I was much younger, my first actual memory is when Goblet of Fire came out. I was pretty devastated because I was going to be on a family vacation, so I wouldn't be able to go to my local Borders for the midnight release. The day after the release, my mom went to the grocery store, and I begged her to see if they had it. When she came back, my dad told me that the store didn't have it in stock. But lo and behold, when I came downstairs, I immediately spotted my mom holding the book up, pretending to read it. <laughs> I screamed and ran down the stairs. I'm pretty sure that's one of the happiest moments of my childhood. So, good right. good, good trick, Mom and Dad. Yeah. So dad's a prankster. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hayden says, I was nine, and I just watched... Sorcerer's Stone in the theater. My dad decided to read my brother and I Chamber of Secrets, and we got about two chapters in when I decided my dad read too slow. <laughs> so I stole the book and finished it in about two days, and my love of all things Harry Potter grew from there. I later went back and read the first book. Oh. Yeah. And finally, Rinwin says, when the first book came out, my mother picked it up. She wanted to read it to my little sister and I. However, she is not one for fantasy and got bored of it herself and stopped reading. <laughs> Yet my sister and I were keen to hear more, and she was too young at that point to read a novel. So being the good big sister I was, we sat up all night and I read it aloud and gave voices to each character. Aww. That's cool. As she is older and just got married last year, it's nice to look back and think of these sisterly bonding moments we shared over something that ended up meaning so much to me. Isn't that nice? That's the nicest story. Cool I've story. Ever yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, I'm home, and my my childhood home through the summer. Welcome home. Oh, thank you. It's uh, g good to be back. No place like home. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I, of course, I have my original Harry Potter books here. I don't really move them around. Mm. They're, they're they're safest here, not moving. As Mugglecasters, I want to assure the listeners we all have like ten copies of every Harry Potter book. Yeah, you know, I, there's like four copies of Half Blood Prince in this house, and my parents are moving next year, so I'm like, we need to get rid of these. We don't need so many copies of Half Blood Prince. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh crap, which one is my original copy? Because the, the, the one with your tears, on the... Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go through it. Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so anyway, um, uh, so funnily enough, in two of the books, so the first book was read to me in fourth grade by my fourth grade teacher awesome uh but then the second one i, I ran out i've told this story before i i went out to um borders and lo and behold there it was right at the front of the shop because i had just come out turns out i wrote the dates in book two and book three of when i started reading oh, and when i finished reading that's such yeah, a that cool, cool that's a that's such a good practice everyone should yeah. teach their kids to do that that's amazing 
yeah, I, I wonder if my parents made me do it or what. But so I, I'm holding my copy of Chamber of Secrets. I started it June 4th, 1999 and finished July 5th, 1999. So that one took me a month. Mm-hmm. I was very busy as a 10 year old. I Clearly. <laughs> the, the next one I read a little faster, September 8th, 1999 to September 29th, 1999. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So and I, funnily enough, I, I, my dad defaced my book. I I opened this up to look at the dates, and below the dates, it says in pencil, to Andrew, something J.K. Rowling. Like, (laughs) he pretended J.K. Rowling signed it or something, and it looks like his handwriting. (laughs) I know. Just erase it if it's in pencil. Yeah, if it's in pencil, just erase it. I don't have a pencil right here, but I'm just realizing this. I don't know how I hadn't seen that. Now I'm a little... Your dad pretended to be J.K. Ross signed your book. I guess. Oh, I love it. I remember this one coming in in Amazon via... I don't know. Was it? I think this one I got via Amazon. They were promising the day of release. So, uh, that because that, that was before midnight release parties, I think. But yeah. uh, Anyway. I will say, there though, that uh, one thing you could do is is donate those extra copies of Half Blood. Yes, yeah, that would be a nice thing to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. it's yeah. A, it's up to you, and and it's funny because uh, this has nothing to do with um, donating books, but um, I was actually reading uh, a book that was recently released uh, by by David Baldacci called The Fix, mm. and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban plays a integral role <gasps> in <laughs> that book. So. Uh, mm. Or, or I what? should say, in the story, in in how the story plays itself out. I can't give, you know, I don't want to give anything away. Spoil it. Uh, you spoil gotta it. spoil yeah. me, Micah. I'm gonna call you. All right. Well, you can call me, but uh, <laughs> it, I just and and it's always interesting when you read other authors how uh, a lot of times um, there's these brief mentions of of Potter that are sort of woven into their works, and I don't think it's the first time Baldacci has used it, but. Um, and for those of you wondering, like he generally writes um, political thrillers, criminal thrillers, those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. um, if you're interested, uh, give it a read. The That's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds great. So that does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. What character are we talking about next episode? Well, we have a choice. We can do Credence. We can do Graves slash Grindelwald. Uh, or we could do the Barebones clan. Hmm... I would say Graves. I think that's a good one after Serafina. Yeah. Since they work together. Oh, wait, that reminds me. They have a a Blu-ray special together. It's The President and Ooh. the Auror is what it's called. Uh, <laughs> okay. Really next to nothing in, in, in there uh, as far as quotes. Um, but it, J.K. Rowling does reveal that in the very first notebook she had on Harry Potter, she had the name Pickery written down. Yeah as being a witchy thing. And she says, it's taken me all this time to use it. Um, so great. By the way, on Patreon for our Slub Club members, we are we released our May giveaway. We're giving away something each month. Uh, this, this one is very close to my heart. We are giving away two copies of the hit film, The Holiday. So Slug Club <laughs> members can... Enter by writing in their favorite character. We have 21 submissions so far. I offer people a list of characters in case they didn't know the movie. Uh, so <laughs> so that contest is now underway through May 27th. I, I, I want a copy. Can we rig the contest so I get a copy? 
<laughs> I need to own this uh, just, movie. Get, just go to the Walmart bargain bin and buy oh, a okay. copy for a few dollars. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, don't forget our voicemail line. It is, Eric, do you remember it? 9203-MUGGLE. Great, because I didn't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I do know the P.O. box, though. Oh. 404 North Lincoln Avenue. No, wait, box. stop, stop. You did it wrong. Uh, uh-oh. 4044. Four, what did I say? 404. I heard 404. Oh. I don't know if you said 4044. Yeah. North Lincoln. Box 144, Chicago, IL 60618. Truth. Micah, any memory, anything you got committed to memory you want to tell us? You can uh, also tweet at us at MuggleCast. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, I already said that one. You did? Okay, well. Uh, a few minutes ago, but it's. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, every few minutes, remind them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.